0: You know what pile of garbage I saw recently? Um, Transformers. The latest Transformers. Holy shit. Um, It's very bad.
1: Hey, welcome to episode sixty-seven of Front Seat Gamer. I'm Nick. I'm here with Severn. Hey, Nick. And Blake. Hey. And this week we have a special guest. You may not have heard of him. His name is Chris. Something. What's your name? Uh, Chris Wilson. Hey. Okay. And what you, from what from Grinding Gear Games? Yeah, I work at the same place as you. Oh. Guys. Okay. Yeah, Chris How is long here. You there?
2: <laughs> a while now. It's,
1: it's, it's been a while. Have you settled in all right? Is it, yeah, I'm yeah? feeling at home now. That's good. Oh, cool. The few
2: okay. years were rough. <laughs>
1: Um, So that's very exciting. I'm sure our listeners have been waiting for this for a very long time.
0: Um, It only took six, eight weeks to get this together. Chris is a very busy guy. But Mm. also, after 3.0, Blake was on holiday. Oh, yeah. Then you went on holiday, Nick. Yep. And then Chris was booked out for a full month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you kept picking weekends where I had
2: business trips and stuff. Mm, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just horrible scheduling. Uh,
1: So normally we start off an episode by talking about what we've been playing. Um, I've been playing uh hearthstone as usual but also cuphead which came out a week ago about a week ago yep. um two weeks, uh, two weeks that ago. game is beautiful probably my favorite looking game at the moment it is just so good looking and it's really fun but it's also ridiculously hard and so if you don't like platformers and you're or or you don't like dying 48 times in a row uh stay away from that game
0: what have you been playing Svern? i've been playing quantum break i i'll Talk more about this it. This is
1: um, by the Heavy Rain team, uh, remedy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did Heavy
0: Rain. No, 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 that, no, no. We had no? this exact conversation. You're thinking Quantic Dream. Yeah, probably. We- the, the PlayStation guys. No, this is a Sony. <laughs> this, uh, sorry, this is a Microsoft game. Okay, what? Um, really? Yeah, yeah we've okay. talked about this. We before. have talked about this. <laughs> you went off on a massive tangent
3: about time traveling photons yep. and Darwin's theory of <laughs> evolution yeah that
0: sounds like me yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how's that game it's, it's good it's good no. i actually want to give more time to chris yeah <laughs> okay yep that's fair <laughs>
2: i've been playing the least number of games
0: yeah we, we want to hear about it man yeah what have you been so, playing
2: almost exclusively mobile games the last few months uh-huh. because of the crunch for both 3.00 and the xbox version and the china version and there wasn't yes. much time for serious gaming yeah and bathroom so, gaming <laughs> yeah the, this is basically bathroom gaming and ubers and planes and that yeah. kind of stuff um the one that's worth talking about is Solitarica. You guys may have discussed it before. I'm not sure. Yes. Very good I, game.
1: I think we may have talked about it. I think this was quite early on because mm. I, I got that more than a year ago, a year and a half ago, something yeah. like that. We talked about it. A I'm late ago.
2: to the party. But yeah. The thing I like about that game is that it has this like... It feels a bit like playing Path of Exile solo self-found because the options that are available to you are random
1: for your build. So you
2: know what you kind of want to build, but it's at the whim of the RNG to see what you're going to build that game. Yep, Hence, you want to play it multiple times.
1: Yeah, I found that game fascinating because you are creating a character build but adhering to solitaire rules yes and it was and and each class feels distinct which i thought was a mind blow like how do you Hmm. make solitaire feel like multiple classes they released new
2: classes recently that are like mono attribute yes
1: yeah and those are really hard um i i managed to beat one of them i think i have to replay that
2: i haven't checked them out yet because every time i want to i'm on a plane so i can't do the purchase
1: (laughs) yeah um that game is awesome They've done some balance changes to that game that made it a lot harder. They nerfed the heck out of Stun. Mm. So Stun was broken overpowered, though. Like, you could just Stunlock bosses from, like, game four onwards on certain classes. Um, yeah, I love that game. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So that
2: consumes a bunch of time. Yep. And I've also been into incremental games. Um, you know, games like Egg Inc. and Deep Town and that kind of stuff. They consume a bit of time every now and then. Deep Town. So I'm not recommending Deep Town. I just happen to have put a lot of time into it, <laughs> but it's one of those iterative games where you upgrade your capabilities and make yep. more stuff. And it's got a st- relatively complex crafting system, but mm-hmm. it's not—you know—it's not the best game I've played. It's just one that happens to be one I haven't finished
1: yet. Right. Um, there've been a, a lot of action RPGs coming out on mobile recently. I've noticed, and a lot of them use some incremental, like some sort of idle game systems that also adhere to action RPG, like random loot stuff, which I thought was interesting. And I haven't actually played a good action RPG on mobile yet. The controls are really tough. Yeah, it's, it's not suitable, in my opinion. But they've got some ones where you just auto-attack nearby monsters, mm-hmm. and you, you pick up loot, and then...
3: Yeah, there was one I played that I think was recommended by a listener called... I think it was called, like, Nonstop Knight. Like, Knight with a K. And okay. He, uh, y- your little guy just runs through a dungeon automatically... Heading towards every monster, yeah, and you just tap the abilities to use.
1: Mm. How is it? It's f- fine. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's basically my opinion <laughs> yeah. of mobile RPGs. It's, yeah,
3: it's a casual. It's casual, so it's I guess good for mobile.
1: Yeah, you don't. The pro- I think part of the problem is you. At least right now, there aren't any RP- ARPGs on mobile that have like interesting, flexible loot systems. It's all just direct upgrades. Yeah, And yeah. it's all very straightforward, and and most of the time it's just like you've got your four primary stats and you upgrade them, mm. and you get stronger and that's it. Um, there was one, I forget the name of it, that was, uh, like a multi-tiered dungeon where you actually have to. It was like a rogue, like you explore the dungeon, you encounter monsters, and you like there are traps and. Was
3: Pixel Dungeon?
1: No, though that game's awesome. Yeah, if you haven't played Pixel Dungeon, Pixel Dungeon is great. Um, this was. More like, um, like the original Diablo, and except that you, unless you, leave the du- if you die in the dungeon without leaving, you lose everything. So you have to sort of choose when to when when you think you've mm. hit your limit. That was the most interesting part of it for me was just figuring out when you can quit. Um, what about you, Blake? Haven't played anything.
3: Um, I just finished uh, Horizon. What? So I'm pretty stoked about. was awesome. that? It was good. I played it for like easily eight hours yesterday. Okay. Finished it. Man, that game. I really like that game. I'm kind of. I'm kind of sad it's over. Yeah. 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 Have you got
1: lots of side content to do?
3: Nah. There's there's <laughs> there's not a lot of side content in that game. The side content is uh, just like uh, undirected, where you're just running around and being like, I'm gonna kill this herd of giant mm. buffalo, and, right? And that's it. It's not like NPCs. This uh, is not I mean, I mean, there stuff. are, but there's not. A lot. Like you go to, you'll go to a random town, and there'll be like two quests there, and okay. then you do them, and it's kind of it. But, so, uh, but yeah, it. The DLC for it is coming out this month, I think. So I'm actually really looking forward to that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Do you know what it is? Like, do you know um,
3: what it's the DLC? All, all I know is that I th- I'm pretty sure there's a new area because they're hunting some strange robot or something. <laughs> okay. So. You cool. Know. But it's just more. If it's if it's more, then it's it's good. I'm looking forward to it
1: um yeah. were there parts of the world that you weren't ever sent to
3: um let me think there kind of was like there's there's places there's corners and like areas of like jungle that I didn't really explore as much as I I kind of wanted to um mm-hmm. but I, I I could go back there now and and check it out but really uh now that I've kind of finished the game it's like uh, I'll just be looking at the scenery and being like oh yeah there's, because the map shows you all the sort of hidden collectibles to find anyway. Right. Um, uh, actually, there was, what's
1: the point? Of, if you've got a, if it shows you where the hidden collectibles well, they, they,
3: are. It shows you the general area where they are. So right. they, they have an icon and then they have a radius around it. So sure. it could be anywhere in there. But that's okay. not a large area. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are um, they at least hard to find? Uh, some of them can be tricky. Some of okay. them are just on the side of the road. There's cool. one, yeah. There's one. I was looking around. I was like, "Where is this?" And then, it, oh, it's right by the road.
1: Do so you think it was just like a week before the game was meant to be gold <laughs> or whatever? They were <laughs> Maybe. just like, "Ah, oh, just plunk it here, some, here, here, here."
3: Because it's weird. Some of these, some of these things. You, you Savernas have played it. So, did you go around collecting those metal flowers? I did. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some of them are in like really, really tough places, like up high, on like cliffs, surrounded by like birds and and invisible robots and stuff. And then others are just like like I said, on the side of the road, and mm. you're just like, oh, there's one. I wasn't even looking for it.
0: I, I, I only went for the middle flowers like when they were close to where I was doing uh, anything.
3: Yeah, yeah, same. I haven't really gone out of my way for them. but
1: um, Do they get you anything good?
3: No, they don't. Not really. I don't, you, you, trade, <laughs> you, collect, you collect three or four of them yeah. as a set and then trade them into someone in the city for a purple loot box. And that's just more loot, and I never have to worry about loot because I'm just killing stuff all over the place. And you've beaten the game. Yeah, and I've beaten the game. So, yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I know you were playing Elite Dangerous for a while. Yeah. Do you still play that? I haven't recently. Okay. Because you're was playing a lot what, of fun.
3: You. Oh, did you?
2: Because I borrowed your. Um, your oculus yes did you play elite dangerous no you stopped me playing it no i'm kidding no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I had an experience that some of our other of Exile players have had where i was having fun doing one specific thing and then they made a slight balance tweak and then they never played it again after that
1: point uh. well, Ooh, interesting yeah what was the balance tweak
2: back when i was playing it yeah. uh, there were specific rules about how you could uh, how pirates pirates spawn in certain asteroid fields when you're yeah. going to um, just try to grind out cash. Sure. So they said, well, this is a bit abusive. Everyone's just spending their time doing this. this. Is the best way to earn money. Right. And so they made it more complicated. I tried it once and quit. And I mean, I, I'm sure it was a good change, probably uh-huh. the right thing. It just happens to be that I didn't play it again after that point. And I only realized this a long time later when I look at my behavior, that, right. oh, I didn't play after that. So I sympathize with people who know who enjoy one part of a game and then it changes very slightly potentially for the best. Yeah. And then it kind of detaches them from it.
1: Yeah. Because that was the thing you were enjoying doing. Yes. And that experience is now different. Indeed. Yeah. Interesting. I
2: I keep meaning to try the game out again whenever they release new content.
1: That game's got some like weird semi-online stuff, right?
2: It is an online game. It's just one that's done in a different way than what we do.
1: Right. In what way is that? Like what, in Um, what, how does it work on that game?
2: Uh, it's it trusts the client a bit more than Path of Excel. Okay. So there there have been, well, issues with fairness and so on in the game, but I'm sure they're working on it. They know what
1: they're doing. All right, cool. Um, trading in that game. Uh, is that multiplayer? Like, or is that... So
2: at the time that I played, which was yeah. a while ago now, um, you could trade with other players by going to the same place and jettisoning stuff and trusting yeah. the other person to pick it up and jettison stuff for you, and it was <laughs> right. possible to trade but most of the trading was with the computer-controlled space stations or stuff yep. like your trading player would go from solar system to solar system doing trade runs, not for other players.
0: Sure.
1: Blake, you've been playing No Man's Sky, and they've, <laughs> they've, they've got multiplayer now. like Officially, <laughs> officially they've got quote-unquote multiplayer yeah. where you can see other players as glowing balls. Yeah, light. Yeah. Can you actually interact with other players?
3: I, I, I don't know. I've not, I've, look, the game is so big... <laughs> You're never gonna meet another player,
1: <laughs> except that. Except sometimes when you people do. do. <laughs> sometimes they do.
3: Um, I I don't know. I haven't looked it up.
1: Because it's interesting to me the the way different games do interaction with other players. Yeah, um, I, especially uh, games for w- which there's no cost involved in, in online play.
3: Yeah, um, I don't know what they've got now, but like I remember seeing people because uh, you could put down like a. Uh, like a console that has a little message like dark souls, yeah. like dark souls message. So they had that. And then there were people standing in the same spot, seeing these things appear and like having a weird conversation.
1: Oh, right. They would be dropping these. Like-
3: yeah. Yeah. That that was before, um, you could see each other as glowing balls of light. So I, I don't know what the interaction is now, <laughs> but the thing is my closest player interaction is what I talked about where somebody named a planet after me. And yeah, That's it.
1: That was, that was good. Um, all right, so we've got some questions that we tend to ask our guests when they come on. Because Bring them on. Um, uh, These are pretty generalized mm-hmm. uh, for the listeners. We're probably not going to talk too much about like the nitty-gritty of of current day Path of Exile, um, but we will probably talk about Path of Exile history. But before we get to that, um, actually, no, let's go. Let's go with this first question by Rikus because this actually helps us get to that. Um, how did you guys get started at as like a, a game developer? So I know, for example, that you met Jonathan mm-hmm. and were friends. I think you were in uni.
2: Yeah, we met at high school.
1: Oh, in high school, okay. Yeah, um,
2: he was the the kid using the computer in the library at lunchtime, which I was meant to be using. So <laughs> <laughs> we we met and um, talked programming, and then later on, when he went to university, he was a few years younger than me. When he went to university, we um, spent a lot of time hanging out, and it was very clear to me that if I was ever going to get into game development, I needed to have a really good programmer like that mm-hmm. working with me. So I kind of groomed him in the direction of um, <laughs> starting a company together. And then when he finished university, we were in a position where we could um, create grinding gear games. And so that was his first job out of uni. Wow. And by then I'd met Eric. I um, actually met him playing Diablo 2. We mm-hmm. met him on the Lurker Lounge Forum, which was a strategy forum that existed back in the day that was quite popular. And so... I mean, think of it like you know, Reddit 15, 16 years ago. And so we met, and at the point that Jonathan and I wanted to find a lead artist for the project, I said to Eric, where would we find someone like this? And he said, I'll catch a plane, and then turned up.
1: (laughs) Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, Diablo Mm 2. Came out in 2000?
2: Yeah, June 28th.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And it sounds like it was an important day. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you get it? Did you get it on, on yes. day one?
2: I played in the stress test event beforehand, which is when they gave out keys to people. You could only play up to the first few areas. And right. So that was, that was very formative.
1: And you started playing day one? Yeah. How much time did you put in Diablo 2? Diablo A
2: few days after um, Diablo 2 came out, I had university exams. So mm-hmm. I shouldn't have put very much in. However, the only exam I ever failed at university, ironically, economics, was three days after <laughs> Diablo II came out, because I did little other than play it. Wow. So I turned up very unprepared, somewhat annoyed that I couldn't be leveling. But you learned economics in D2, didn't you? Oh, I mean, sure, the economics was no problem. I went on to do a lot more economics. Yeah, but, yeah. But technically, in terms of actually passing that exam, Diablo II got in the way.
1: Wow. And um, had you still played Diablo II today?
2: The last time I played Diablo II seriously was in about 2009 or 2010. OK. But that was, like, playing it quite a lot, like, a disruptive level. (laughs) I still play it from time to time when I want to try something out these days. Sure.
1: What was it about that game that hooked you? I'm not quite sure.
2: Like, it felt really good to play, Mm -hmm. and then you wanted to play a lot, and then it kept feeling really good to play. Mm -hmm. And that's a combination of a lot of elements that were right in that game. Yeah. Like, I really, and this may just be the nostalgia speaking, but I really love the atmosphere of it and the areas and the graphics, despite it initially being 640 by 480. Mm. Right. You know, it it looks and feels wonderful to me. And the item system is just spot on for creating
1: addiction. Mm -hmm. And obviously that leads into Path of Exile. Right. At what point did you decide from playing Diablo 2 that you wanted to make another game?
2: So... I didn't intend to be a game developer when I was right. going through university and stuff. I just thought I'd be a boring programmer. So I'm a programmer by training, despite sure. the fact I don't work on Path of Exiles code very often. And so it think of it as a business opportunity where people um, had been playing a lot of Diablo 2. And at the time, there was no apparent sequel or successor to this. And so we identified that, well, if no one else is making any action RPGs that have all the correct components to them, that this is a market that it might be worth looking at, you know, to make another action RPG. Mm -hmm. And there were various games like Titan Quest that had come out that were great but missed a few key components. Like Titan Quest didn't have random levels and it didn't have secure online play. So if you played a multiplayer, you could kind of, you know, cheat your items by copying your save game around and that kind of stuff. So we figured that it was important to make a game that not only had the cool action combat of D2, but also... um, you know secure online play it's you know properly online from the beginning right you wanted well as... the
1: integrity of of the economy there yeah
2: because the game's yeah. all about having items that your friends don't have and then you feel good about having them yeah so we wanted to try to get all of the key elements of what we perceived the successful action ipg genre to have even if there was only one successful game in that genre so far yeah now of
1: course there are several <laughs> more because there are other games like that too sure um we first met when I was working in the US oh. and you were showing Path of Exile for the first time. That's right.
2: The very first day of publicity, you were there.
1: Yes. Um, and I remember at that meeting when you guys told me that it was going to be free to play. And I was like super surprised because it was um, a lot better looking than I had expected. So a little bit of background. I got a random phone call. or No, my boss got a phone, random phone call from New Zealand um, saying we, we want to show off this game. And my boss assigned this for me to, to, to cover and you guys turned up and I was like not expecting a whole lot because random developers from New Zealand, game I'd never heard of in a genre that wasn't popular anymore. And I was blown away because it looked good and it had all these crazy uh, customizable game design decisions in there. And he showed me the passage tree, which at that point I don't think had notables. It was just like attributes and, and stuff um, all on the same node. And, and you showed me the gem system, I was like, this is awesome, and I was super pumped. Um, and, and then you told me it was going to be free-to-play. At what point had you guys decided that Path of Exile was going to be free-to-play?
2: So prior to starting Path of Exile, we played some games like Maple Story, yeah. which were free-to-play, admittedly not in Western markets, you know, in Korea, for example. And so we appreciated the fact that there were huge advantages to this for us. I mean, for a start, there's the fact that one of the barriers of entry of someone having to put money up front is gone. And if you're an indie developer, you need to get rid of every substantial barrier for entry. If mm. we could have the game be a one megabyte download, we would do. You know, that's an example of a right. barrier for entry that's harder to get past. And so it had the advantage that you can get people playing more easily and then find a way of incentivizing them to pay you later. Sure. In addition, we thought it would be a really good marketing thing to be the West's first free-to-play game. And now mm. we weren't by a long shot. There were a lot of free-to-play games <laughs> for us, and that's because it takes a lot longer to make a game <laughs> than we thought at the time. Yeah. But we knew from the beginning we wanted it to be free to play, because honestly, it would just help us actually get the product well known. I mean, is this back in the time where, while you can launch on Steam, there's still people buying games in the shops. You know, it was 2006, yes. yeah. and so we—how would we persuade a publisher to take our random game from New Zealand that's made by a bunch of guys in a garage and actually put it in shops and fund that and give us a good shelf space? Right. Whereas free to play lets us just you know spread on the internet.
1: Mm-hmm. Had you always planned for Path of Exile to be a? Uh, like successful business or had you initially decided that you would work on this like as a hobby project
2: It was it was a business endeavor we put our life savings into it we did it full time we did projections and spreadsheets right. and business plan was and... that from the get go or yep. wow okay yeah it was a conscious decision to go all in and to do mm-hmm. this and that was mostly because we figured there are you know 10 plus million players who would enjoy a game like this who have great memories of playing Diablo 2 or other online games mm-hmm. who currently have nothing to play in this type of game right that's
1: um gutsy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not. It's not a recommended course no. of action because
2: survivorship bias means that we're here now, and people played the game, and it, you know they enjoyed it. But yeah. realistically, ninety-five percent of projects that start out like that unfortunately mm. fail for one reason or another.
0: Yeah. When was um D three announced?
2: I remember this. So D three was announced in two thousand and eight, I believe. Mm. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but yeah, it was two thousand and eight. Um, and I remember they were doing a marketing, like a teaser thing leading up to it, where they had some ice cracking where, you know, it was Diablo behind it. Mm. And so I was very apprehensive, trying to persuade myself, oh, this is clearly a StarCraft game. Like, very <laughs> clearly <laughs> another StarCraft game, obviously. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a World of Warcraft thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bit in denial. And I watched the Diablo 3 reveal that they did at the Invitational event, which I think was in France that they were running. Mm-hmm. And I felt a bit of relief because uh, it wasn't the same type of game that we were making. It was quite different. And From the different teaser
0: audience. trailer, you got this impression.
2: Yeah, they a demo on stage and so on and yeah uh this was good for us because i mean we could just double down on what we were doing which is darker and grittier and had more of an emphasis on character customization targets players who have more experience with action rpgs because diablo 3 is a lot easier to plan to get into than path of exile is yeah and so it let us just do what we do and not worry too much
1: because blizzard does what they do and Mm. we both have successful games in that genre yeah when the real auction real money auction house was was first discussed i think this would have been 2009 or 2010 it was not not too long before the game actually came out um did that worry you at all or how, how what was your first impression of that decision
2: every game developer who has an online game that has trading has to struggle with the fact that players are going to attempt to trade their time for money yeah and if it's possible for players to then people are going to try to make a business out of it and do it on a mass scale yeah and so this is something we've put a lot of effort into Path of Exile is clamping down on people that are running businesses trying to sell items in the game. Right. And a lot of our resources and a lot of the players' contributions to the game go towards stopping this to give them a, play, a fair playing field. Yeah, And so Blizzard had seen this with Diablo 2 and their approach for Diablo 3 is that by democratizing it and letting it be a thing where players can easily do it from one player to another, then there's no reason for a big studio to go into business right. because every player has equal access to this. So it's with noble intention, but not something I would suggest we do for Path of
1: Exile. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah, that was that was not met with a lot of love from the player base, it seemed like, as well, because I, it seemed to also incentivize um, uh, the worst behaviors because it become became a money-making endeavor that was endorsed.
3: I thought it was also a way for them to continually, like, get, revenue from the game because yep. didn't they take a small portion like, yeah, there like was, Steam there when you sell a, uh, item on Steam they take a, a tiny portion as well yeah. so I thought it was like that because they didn't have microtransactions they, they did have Know this this little tax on yes on the auction house.
2: Blizzard are in a unique position out of most out of all the developers in the world, where they probably don't need that revenue as much as other yeah, people I would. Don't. Like they they can sell. I mean, they sell a lot of units of that game at full mm. price, and because it was sold digitally through their platform, they get all the money. There's no need for the shops and the distributors and FedEx and so on to take right. their cuts. And so they have the ability to just release like with Overwatch. You know, they just release the game, people pay money for it, yeah. and everyone's happy.
1: And they also have a lot of inter-game marketing through these games like you, mm. when you bought Diablo you got pets in World of Warcraft mm. and all sorts of stuff so yeah they're real good with that cross very idea. very good like user base pre-installed yeah. basically um let's talk a little bit about some of the other games you played in the lead-up to Path of Exile mm-hmm. development so let's say between the years 2000-2006 oh. obviously a lot of Diablo 2
2: so in terms of games that actually directly influence Path of Exile, an obvious one is Final Fantasy VII. Yep. We loved that game and all played it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Magic the Gathering is an example of a game, while not a computer game, at least at the time, which affected Path of Exile in many ways. Uh, in terms of other things that I played a bunch, I really liked Guild Wars 1. and mm-hmm. This is kind of the unsung, quiet inspiration for some of Path of Exile, like our instancing system in the game is identical to the kind of thing they were doing in Guild Wars 1, with the exception that we support cross-instance parties. But aside from that, it is actually the same. Like, they had it so you could log into your gateway in any country, and it's part of the same big realm. You Mm -hmm. can transfer your characters across implicitly by going to another town to meet with someone. There's all of the stuff that they did, including their really good patching system and so on, which was incredibly ahead of its time in terms of technology. Mm -hmm. So Guild Wars 1 is a great example.
1: That was an interesting because... I mean, that's another company that started off as... Three dudes, mm-hmm. quitting their normal professions and, and deciding to make a game yeah. in their kitchen.
2: Three's a good number.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, other than Guild Wars 2, sorry. Other other than Guild Wars, rather. Um, uh, and you mentioned Maple Story mm-hmm. um, as as sort of one of the free to play inspirations. Were there other less uh, clear inspirations for for Path of Exile?
2: We played a lot of. Other online RPGs at the time, mm. like um, an example would be Mew Online, the original one, which had a uh, which had quite a following in some countries, despite being something that Western countries didn't get a lot of exposure to. That was very interesting. Kind of as a lesson of how not to do some parts of game design. And I don't say that to criticize it, but I just say that because we can see the exact consequences. Mm -hmm. Like, it answers the question if you put a fairy at the end of the bridge who gives you a significant buff at level one so you can kill the monsters trivially and feel super powerful, what does this do to your character progression? Right. Is it good for the short term? Is it good for the long term? And we can answer that by seeing how people played in that game without having to try that in Path of Exile. Right. So that was quite interesting. Mm. Um, I also played a variety of other non- RPG style games. In fact, like for example, I played a ton of Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> really, yes. I was really good at that. This cannot... is this is back when I was fitter and thinner But I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> so I played a ton of that. I played the board game Othello, like some just called mm-hmm. Reversi. Mm-hmm. You know, right. quite a lot. Um, there's there's a lot of other gaming things that didn't make it into Path of Exile. Right. Like maybe some lessons I learned from DDR made it in, but that's really kind of tangential. Rhythm, it's, rhythm. It's, yeah, exactly. some of the boss yeah.
0: fights are kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do any of the boss fights in Path of Exile. I yeah, kept my I hands 100% off that because
2: there are much better developers for that at our studio. We we do have some very
1: good fight designers. Um, let's ask another uh, Rikus question. This is. Um, this is one we always ask people. Are there any office rituals or quirks? Um, rituals. Yeah. We've talked a little bit, I think, in the past about the goat head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but who, now we...
3: Who, who made the... There's a plushy goat head now. Yes. That.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Nicole,
2: that's Jonathan's wife, made yeah. this. And she really likes making soft toys. Oh. And she used to work as a vet nurse yes. before they got married. And so... She understands the anatomy of a, what a goat's head would actually be. And so this thing's got cartilage and vertebrae, you cool.
1: know? Yeah, it, it is a soft, plushy, cute at first looking. Uh, <laughs> I heard you can see. Quite large goat head.
3: I, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that, like, where the head, well, where the neck would be, you can see, like, where it's spine and all that sort of thing. But it's all plushy. I haven't <laughs> Yeah, <know>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so actually really the cool. The ritual
2: with this, as I'm sure you've discussed before, is that at the point where QA um, has sanctioned a patch and gives it go-ahead or goat-head due to hmm. one unfortunate autocorrect, um, <laughs> the goat-head is passed symbolically to the producer who's in charge of it, who then, after he's happy that everything's done, will pass it to the server guys for deployment. That's and so, so Recently, this ritual has involved a lot of WTFing as the actual goat head has passed yeah. around.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Although those in awesome. the know love it. Yeah, um, uh, That's cool. I, there... didn't,
2: I didn't realize it came from an
3: autocorrect. I thought it was just from people just saying, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, and so much
2: until it just morphed into its own yeah. word. Well, we'd include pictures of goat heads in the emails and that kind of stuff. Oh, man, that's so cool. <laughs> I mean... <laughs>
1: You Google image search is good for them. Yeah,
3: yeah,
1: okay. We have a, a sheep skull at my home and I tried to convince my partner that we should donate it to the company. She why? wasn't on board. Why do you have a sheep put skull? A, put a plushie I, around I'm that. I'm not at yeah. liberty to discuss why we... Yeah, we actually we, have two sheep skulls.
2: And she's very keen to keep them where they belong. Yeah.
1: <laughs> for speak, the, speaking of rituals. When we, <laughs> when we, want, when we want that black mask. <laughs> um, uh, this is from... a. This is the last of the Rikus questions. What's a typical day like? Now we've we've heard this from a few different people. What I would be curious to hear about is what was a typical day like um, before you guys had a game to show off. <laughs> like, let's say uh, two thousand early two thousand seven. I assume at this point you had a very basic, maybe shell of a of a game yeah. and server.
2: Okay, so early two thousand and seven. I was living at a different place to where I live now, which is where the company was based in our garage. And so in early 2007, oh man, things were incredibly different. So Jonathan would frequently stay over. So Mm -hmm. we'd wake up in the morning and we'd go for a walk to a nearby bakery or whatever, get some breakfast, come back. Eric would turn up, who was also living nearby. And back then we had, I believe, like Harry would come into work occasionally. This was
1: about a year before Severn joined us. Now, How long after you guys had formally started working on Path of Exile? was Harry hired?
2: A couple of months. So he's hit 10 years now. Yeah.
1: Um, now,
0: can, can you clear something up? <laughs> who, was, who was the first official hire <laughs> at, at Grinding Gear?
2: I now, can't remember if it was Harry or Yuri. That's George who used to work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Harry, actually. Pretty sure that I had to go and do all the legal paperwork and work out how to hire people for Harry. Oh, cool. Because Harry claims that
3: uh, he was the first employee, but then Jonathan had, also said Reese was the first employee. No, no. We
0: um, asked Jonathan and he said Dylan.
2: Oh, okay. I I can confirm, having checked this, that both Dylan and Reese were hired after Harry. But we were talking with Dylan around this time. It's Mm. just he hadn't done anything for us. You see, Dylan's a web programmer, and Harry is a game programmer. And we needed game programmers before we needed a website. Mm -hmm. So this is is the reason there. So I think very early 2007, Harry hadn't quite yet started working in the office. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, this is going to sound terrible. (laughs) At the time, we really liked Command & Conquer 3. So the typical workday involved quite a lot of Command Conquer 3, just in the <laughs> middle of the day. The thing is, my brother was hanging out with us a fair amount, and while he hasn't worked on Path of Exile, he also enjoyed Command & Conquer 3. So at some point, me or Jonathan or my brother or Eric would say C&C, and then the rest of the day is written off as we play that. Now, of course, once we actually had <laughs> Why can't had we stuff, do that nowadays? <laughs> well, we weren't paying ourselves the salary. We were, just, we were just sitting there trying not to spend money. As yeah. soon as we had people in the office who we were paying, we then couldn't just sit there playing games while they're <laughs> while they're slaving away. So this is the thing we could do. You back- could,
1: arguably you could. Because <laughs> yeah. you're still not taking a salary in theory.
2: <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to discuss that with them though. <laughs> yeah. But we played a lot of CNC and there were some shenanigans. Like what's awesome is when a patch comes out. So we yeah. read the patch notes fastidiously. And then update my brother's like machine that he was using in my garage to the new version of the patch, and just uh-huh. don't mention it. But the thing is, we know all the balance changes, oh, <laughs> so all man. the old strategies subtly don't work. Or even better is to not update the machines, but to read the patch notes, and then you know what the broken things are that they've decided to fix. Right? Or bugs. Uh-huh. Yes, right. there's there some good times back then. But That's that is awesome. some deep play happening. Like we we played. You
1: know, there's like, some psychological yeah. games going on there.
2: We never played at that level. That's... <laughs> well, this was before games auto-updated themselves through Steam or whatever, because we just installed it from bits of plastic they put in the yeah. case. Mm. And at this time, we were also interviewing programmers, and we got the interesting thing where, like, to enter the gr- the garage at the time, you could either go through the big garage door, which required us opening it, and that was a pain, because then all the kids that are playing on their skateboards on the street would look inside and, oh, man, <laughs> you know, get suspicious. Yeah. Or you could walk around the back, um, you know, the back of the garage, where there's, like, a clothes hanger with my wife's laundry on it and everything. Mm-hmm. And so... We truck people. We hire people. We get people in for an interview. They arrive in a suit, and we'd walk them past a whole bunch of pink laundry, and let them in the back door of a garage where we're sitting there, like basically having a LAN with pizza boxes on the floor and everything, and then try to interview them from a serious position. Oh man! And I tell you, it got easier to hire people once you have an office. <laughs> yep. Yep. How- you, you, you've watched Silicon Valley, right? Yeah.
3: Do you do you feel like any uh... most of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of
1: kinship there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good show yes um what how did you hire your first employee is my question like how so did
2: harry and jonathan had met mm, at university and so okay. it's just a matter of saying hey bro come work for us okay
1: cool right okay and so then there's his 20s gone he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't so put off by the blatant unprofessionalism of no. <laughs> working past laundry in a garage that's good um how did your wife feel about You're uh, basically consuming the garage Um, as a workspace. She started
2: off unhappy about it and became less happy about it over time. (laughs) And it was difficult because game development comes with some long hours. And that meant I was spending a lot of time basically living in the garage. And this meant that. There was always someone there to talk to or to work on the game with. So it became a a 16-hour-a-day thing, and I wasn't spending enough time with my wife. Mm -hmm. And so us deciding to get an office space for the company once it was large enough was partly to try to get some kind of work-life balance back again right? so that I could actually spend time with her in our space without it being constantly a company thing. right? Also, implicitly, she didn't like having to clean up after like seven guys. <laughs> yeah. And there was only one bathroom because it's like oh, a house, man. you know. Oh,
1: jeez. Sure. Yeah. And I'm,
2: and I'm sure
3: if she walked in and you guys are just playing Command & Conquer, it's still it's not a good look. Yeah. yeah.
2: She, I mean, she's happy to play her own game. She's a big gamer herself. Yep. But at the same time, she wasn't 100% happy with the fact she didn't really have a house anymore. Right. And so at the point where we had to move to an office for like, you know, council reasons and stuff, mm-hmm. we decided it would be a good time to, to do that for family cool. reasons. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. Um, all right let 's ask uh, let 's ask a question from dirk austin this is another way to ask all of our guests um, What is your favorite class now I think usually we this is locked to path of exile when we ask it right but let 's open it up to to more games as well what's your favorite let's start with path of exile class and then we'll talk about some other games
2: so my path of exile class changes a lot because i get excited working on various parts of the expansion that we're doing and so yep. during it i think i have to play this build i have to play this build and by the time it comes out and i get a chance to play there are several favorite classes to pick from at the time mm-hmm. i've frequently gone back to playing um, melee classes in path of exile and this is partly because I want to make sure that they're as good as they can be and as important yep. for someone to be playing them, but also because I really like the Cyclone skill. And so <laughs> while Cyclone characters often turn into Sunder characters and so on, I do typically resonate with melee characters, mm-hmm. but I'll have some crazy idea that once I've farmed enough currency with my melee character, I'm going to go and build a whatever-it-is other character that's too complicated for me to understand. <laughs> right. Um, Were there any uh, builds of the week that you like took into your own game? There is a build of the week that I... So this is funny, the Flame Totem build way back at the beginning, both got that guy hired oh. and that guy is possibly the most influential developer on Path of Exile since then. This is Mark, who, oh, um, oh. who is basically, you know, game director now for that game and all but title. And it also meant that I played a Flame Totem character for a very large amount of time. And that was the most bittersweet nerf, I think, you know, going at the time I was in charge of balance mm. and it's like, okay, this is pretty good, <laughs> probably too good. I have to yeah. change it. Maybe so, I change that, it next week. That's you such know? <laughs> a
3: responsible developer move instead of being like, let's let's buff this so I'm even more powerful. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: it, it certainly was bittersweet trying to work out how and to what extent. And I'm glad now that I don't have to make individual skill decisions. It's made by much more competent people. I can play whatever I want
1: and not care whether or not it's nerfed. Hmm. My favorite class, I don't know if we have ever talked about this, I, I tend to gravitate towards the Templar. Hmm. And I really don't know why that is. Cause so there's no pants, isn't it? it the, I mean, he is, without a doubt, um, the most awkward-looking character in the game <laughs> on a few different levels. I mean, he's left-handed. He's got that super long neck. And he doesn't wear pants. And he was also, I think, the first character model, possibly, that was added.
2: I think the ranger might have been the first. Okay.
1: The ranger looks better. <laughs> um, but, man, for some reason, playing the Templar is super fun. Um, And I think a part of it is just I love totems. Totems are my preferred playstyle. It's basically like a... Uh, tower defense game with loot which i think is perfect um uh we've got another question from dirk austin which is what is your favorite game and i have a guess for
0: this
2: (laughs) so my my favorite game throughout my life has been diablo 2 yep but i would say that my 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 opinion of the best game Uh is the binding of isaac
1: oh interesting and i
2: say this I mean, and I haven't played as much of it as I'd like, like only hundreds of hours rather than thousands. <laughs> yeah. But I say this because I think it actually is basically the perfect mixture of um roguelike elements that mm. give massive amount of replayability and so many cool secrets. Like you can play it for hundreds of hours and still be discovering abusive stuff to do in that game. And that's before they even added any expansions. Right. And while it's nothing like Path of Exile in terms of finding items that persist on your character, like it doesn't tick the box of persistent progress beyond its so s- small systems. It's got some small but Yeah, yeah, the small things. But you don't have a single persistent character. Right. It still encapsulates <laughs> the entire character journey into a you know twenty minute to one hour playthrough. Yeah. And so I think that it is, in my opinion, one of the best games.
1: I really I played quite a lot of that game. I found some very frustrating parts. I didn't enjoy, for example, how m- often your life had to be used as a resource. Um, there are lots of secrets where you have to take damage for the secret to work. Like um there's like sacrifice rooms or whatever they're mm-hmm. called um and i always felt like there was so much pressure on your life that it made it unfeasible to play some of the low life characters some of them they start off with different life values um but i i also didn't get that good at that game so that might be why <laughs> um have you played the uh the like Rebirth, the, the more recent version of that?
2: I have it installed, and I've played 10 minutes of it, but I haven't got into it yet, partly because I know that when I start playing it, that's what my evenings will become. Mm-hmm. And so I actually bought a Nintendo Switch Switch with Zelda, so that I could play Zelda was the ostensible thing, but in the mm-hmm. back of my mind is the plan that they will release The Binding of Isaac, and then <laughs> they'll have a portable device with a controller, because that's important to actually be playing it with decent controls. Yeah. And so I know that's out now, and yeah, I'm worried it's going to consume my life once mm-hmm.
1: I think of this at home. When did you get the Switch? I, didn't, I, I hadn't heard that you got one.
2: I got it at release. I got what? it after being wow. in America at release and watching the queues of like what? three kilometers of people oh, queued right. up along each of the shops. Yeah. So I have a look on the New Zealand site Mighty Ape and they've got a couple in stock. So yeah. I order that and then it's kind of been sitting there, which is terrible and I'm oh a bad person. You should but play you should, Zelda. Zelda yeah, my wife's been playing it, which is good. but oh, Zelda's so good. Yes, and I should play Zelda. Zelda um,
3: is really good. Like, I I played it on uh, your Wii U to death, it Yeah. Seems. I, literally. Yeah, like broke my Wii Wii. Wii. <laughs> <laughs> playing it. I
1: don't think he actually did, but I'm still going to blame you. I'll <laughs> play it over Christmas. <laughs> that is um, probably my favorite game. Um and Mario is coming out later this month Mario Odyssey if you're a platformer fan there's
3: DLC for that coming out soon right Zelda? uh, yeah Zelda
1: Uh, a bunch of of DLC got released and I think there is yes at the end of this year or maybe even this month or something there's like um, a whole new sub story that's cool so I'm going to be getting that Uh, I don't often buy the same game twice but I will be buying Zelda a second time
3: oh man You're, you're like Severn now How many times
1: have you bought GTA 5? Buying great games? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Buying Buying the same great game Mm -hmm. over and over and over again? Uh, Three. (laughs) Three? Yeah. Have you bought DLC for any of them? Uh, They give it to you for free. Okay. That's how much of a good guy they are. (laughs) You only had to buy the game three times for that. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I still don't regret it.
1: (laughs) That's fair. Honestly, Like, I'm going to buy Zelda a second time, so I can't judge. Um it sounds to me, Chris, like your favorite game genre is the roguelike. Mm. Would that be a fair assessment. Yep. Are there any other game genres that you're particularly fond of?
2: I do like space trading games as well. I uh-huh. played the original Frontier. That's the, well, two games before Elite Dangerous in the series. A ton when I was a kid, like 12 years old. So I do really like space trading games also. Mm-hmm. What do
3: you think of um Star Citizen?
2: Like had how, how oh, anything that's yeah. cool? I'm gonna wait for it to come out and get reviewed, and then decide whether I want to play it. Right.
3: you're not you're not getting hyped up for not, that. You're not, not pre-buying some ships. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. I've I've got a friend that spent over a hundred bucks on on ships already. That...
1: What do you think of? Um, I know Path of Exile was crowdfunded in its closed beta.
2: So. Yeah, this, I mean, it depends how you define cloud, crowdfunded and depends how you define beta. But
1: sure. <laughs> well, early on, before, before launch, mm-hmm. it was crowdfunded and off of Kickstarter. You guys, I think, ran your own, right?
2: Yeah, it's just like we do with supporter packs now, yeah. but labeled more like crowdfunding then.
1: Yeah, mm. um, and to some extent, crowdfunding has started to die down, it seems like. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that?
3: I, I think people are just uh, more cautious on what they actually fund, yeah. so things aren't getting funded so as much when you look at it's a not, game it's not the crazy wild west of it, it's it's coming to the end of the crazy wild west of crowdfunding I right
1: think. yes um, when you look at a game like um, Star Citizen where you know they've now earned I think somewhere in the vicinity of like 90 million dollars um, and as of yet don't have a game <laughs> what are you thinking like Path of Exile has been out for quite a while and it's, and it's very successful but $90 million with it, without a game to show it seems like kind of crazy, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, every moment that we hadn't formally released Path of Exile but it's still accepted people's money, mm-hmm. I felt a duty to make sure the game came out. Yeah. You know, like when we actually got to say this is the released version with 1.0 back in 2013 and to take the beta away... That was a good moment because I felt that, okay, we have now delivered what people paid for in terms of there is a game. We'll mm-hmm. continue to expand it for them. And if they've paid their money, they don't necessarily need to pay more. But sure. we feel good that we've met our obligation now. And I mean, I'm sure Star Citizen will be a great product with the amount of money that they've poured into it. We just have to wait for them to decide it's ready. It's kind of an Do exercise. Do you think it'll ever spectrum. be ready? Well,
1: it has to be, right? I, I don't know. I I knew, um, I, I worked for, for some people who ultimately made a Kickstarter for a game uh earned I think they the more than a million dollars went into it uh, the game was meant to come out this year, I think according to their original Kickstarter um, and as of like late last year, I think they announced that they had just hired a programmer so there are I mean obviously star citizen is a little more professional than that, but there's like some very high profile projects that have never seen the light of day. Um, and I worry about games like that, where huge amounts of money go into a product. People have functionally paid for and bought a game that they may never see for at least several years or, or at all. Well, um, and there's no real accountability for that.
2: Without answering your question directly, <laughs> I reckon that products are higher quality when yeah. you get something out for the players to play in a complete form with a complete loop and then yeah. in- increment, incrementally improve them based on feedback mm-hmm. over time as opposed to sit there in the dark making something where no one sees what it is until release day sure. which is how many big games are made but it can also be why there are big game failures because on release day people wish they had iterated on a certain loop a number of times to make it better that's fair
1: so you reckon that the method of getting the game the core gameplay out early and then iterating on it yeah i think is the that would be,
2: i think that would guarantee quality more and hopefully when we roll the dice on a big product like this it comes out positive
1: there have been a lot of i remember a while ago there was a lot of um, talk in the games industry about these sort of early access things you should treat them as your launch because you only really get one launch Mm. and if your early access is the first time the majority of your players see your game there's a good chance that they might not like it um so isn't is there not an inherent risk in releasing something that is not in a great state or, or at least not uh good enough to be considered like a launched game
2: I think people should challenge the you only get one launch thing. So we were careful with Path of Exile. When we entered our um, closed beta, we got a lot of press. People Mm -hmm. liked the game. They wanted to play it. And that's basically a launch. As you say, you only get one. Yeah. But the game was also bad compared to where it was later. So when we did our actual open beta launch, we had significantly higher amount of interest in numbers. That Mm -hmm. was a second launch. Then we did our real release launch, again, bigger numbers, and we successfully managed to have multiple launches. Mm. Maybe it was careful branding, maybe it was marketing, maybe it's a product of what game development was like five years ago. But, I mean, the launch we had recently was bigger numbers again. Yep. And, sure, this is potentially what successful games do when you have an you know, attracted audience. But yep. um, I think that if people try very hard to have multiple launches that are clearly understood by the players of mm-hmm. what's different, then they can release a thing and then make it better and then release it again and still see... Uptake.
3: I think, like, also, uh, you know, com- going into early access too early can really be a bad thing. I think that's when, yeah. well, that's when that uh, you only launch one once kind of really comes into it. Because, yeah. like, Path of Exile, I played a uh, before I was working uh, for Granny Gear's. I played a um, open beta weekend, and there was like two acts, and I mean, there was still quite a lot of a lot of stuff there. Like, I had a good solid weekend of just playing Path of Exile. Whereas, like, I'll go on Steam and occasionally buy an early access game that has like two hours of of gameplay, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, more more's coming over the next right. I don't know three years or something." And I think that's really more damaging. So if you if you go into early access, you know, with like a decent amount of uh, of gameplay, it's it's definitely like better I think for you.
1: My personal opinion: um, Path of Exiles got. A, I mean, Path of Exile is built around the idea of being able to replay that content um, countless times. Besides the fact that the areas are randomized and loot is randomized, um, like all of the character systems are built with huge amounts of flexibility in mind. And, and the idea of like re rolling and making new characters, and new builds is, as part of the long term game structure, um, I think sits apart from, for example, uh, a uh, No Man's Sky clone. Yeah. like a, like a, oh, yeah. like an open world walking simulator yeah. where you yes areas are procedurally generated uh and it's cool and you know maybe you have four planets or whatever in the early access and maybe there's going to be 12 by the time mm. it comes out but if you don't have a if if you're done with those four planets and you realize there's not a lot mm. else to do outside of that this happened to me with um Starbound Starbound yep. was a yeah, similar issue yeah. to Terraria um lots of worlds, lots of yeah. crafting, lots of upgrading to do but if you've done that core loop a few times, mm. you, you're you at least in my opinion, I was like, okay, I get it and I, I never played it again.
3: Yeah, I, I played that in earlier Access as well and Rory uh, is still playing it and occasionally will talk about it and there's like, there's just ten times the amount of stuff that there there was when I played it, mm. but I'm just like, yeah, I feel like I've played it so I'm not going right. to try it again even though I, I probably should, but
1: yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that is that's the hump that I, I yeah, struggled yeah. to get over with Early Access as well.
2: I think that a lot of the reason people launch their games in Early Access is because they ran out of money. That's what happened mm. to us. We said, I have literally one month worth of salaries left to pay people, this is the point I should start telling them, but why mm. don't we turn sales on and see what happens? And it was fine after that. Yeah, But that was the point where I was looking into, how do I sell my Magic cards? You know? oh, right. Man. When you did launch into Early Access, because uh, I don't know how long
3: it had been in when I played that open thing, how, like what how much of the game actually was
2: there was was there two acts or was it just the one act i think it was two acts we definitely hadn't released so we released act 3x at the release of the game in october 2013 that means we released act three at the beginning of open beta which means during the closed beta period that you were talking about where they had open weekends, mm. that would have just had two acts. Yeah, yeah. Val okay. Oversol was the final boss. Yeah, yeah And it I would have been better that. if more people's first impression of Path of Exile was a finished game. Like yes, without yeah. a doubt, if our early access had been a finished game, we'd have be been in a much better position. Mm. But that's not possible, right? Like, we'd run out of money. We'd already tapped our friends for money. We couldn't really get any more... I mean, there's a long rant about where you can get money from to fund games, like whether it comes from a publisher, whether it comes from a venture capitalist, whether it comes from the gamers themselves, whether it comes from yourself and your friends and family. And they all have pros and cons. But at the end of the day, getting it from the gamers as Mm pre-sales is effective because all the incentives are aligned. These are the people you're actually meant to get the money from eventually and it also lets you validate whether or not they're willing to pay you. Because if you start using other people's money for too long and never actually see whether the gamers want to pay for what you're wanting Mm -hmm. then it's a train wreck waiting to happen that ruins your investors.
1: I think with the game, the other thing I think that worked for Path of Exile in Early Access that doesn't necessarily work for a lot of other games in Early Access is that Path of Exile uh, was built with free-to-play in mind. And so... Uh, access to the game was not the only or even main revenue stream. Mm. It was always going to be like cosmetics and stash tabs, right? So you compare it to, you know, a lot of the early access games where it's like you pay, so let's say the Minecraft model, you pay half the price, half of the final price now and you Mm. get the game and you'll get the full version of the game forever. Um, It seems like you are cutting out a revenue stream later on. Um, and that seems to be what I at least what I saw several years ago was a lot of games doing the Minecraft model of, you know, cheap game now, full mm. game later, and then never actually getting enough people right. later because the impression, the initial impression had been so lackluster. To
2: some extent, the math suggests it's better to have expensive game now, cheaper game later.
3: Yes, because
1: <laughs> it seems backwards of it. to me. Like,
2: yeah, that seems like just a
3: hump <laughs> to, to get people over right. there. Like such a gate. To...
2: Like, imagine we had some fancy new product that the world wanted to play, Yeah, which we don't necessarily. But if we had some product and you say it's $1,000 to get in, mm-hmm. you would be guaranteed to get your ardent fans who are willing to pay $1,000 mm-hmm. to get in. And then later you go, okay, you know, now it's only $100, now it's $50. And in each case, people become more willing to pay. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we'll never price a thing like that. That's right. crazy. But from an mm-hmm. economics point of view, yeah, um, mm-hmm. I think that it... Which I failed, remember? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think it was this. It was start off really
1: expensive. <laughs>
2: but it's it, it lets you get your core fans in at one price point and then gradually mm-hmm. open it up until eventually people are getting in for free because they're the people that weren't willing to pay for sure. it. Does that, not, did, does that not anger the core fans, though? Or are they just the core fans?
1: As long as they're remember. getting like content commensurate with that... the amount that they're paying. If they get, for example, the exclusive microtransaction style oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, They they have some sort of status thing that they can show
2: off. Be transparent with them. Hey guys, this isn't always going to cost a grand to get in. That's the thing is implicitly. Okay, so let's look at the closed beta for Path of Exile. So we said, here's a closed beta for this game. It's got a bit of popularity recently. People want in, and we're not going to give it out to a lot of people because we want to have a small number of testers for the time being. So we put a thing on the website inviting people every say ten minutes, Mm -hmm. and it was the beta key timer that's gone down in history to some extent (laughs) within the community. Yep. And so we invite people every ten minutes, and of course they watch the timer and hope it's them that's picked. People were absolutely buying accounts off each other, right? Like yeah. a guy would play the game for a day, say, so cool, I've played the closed beta now. How much can I get for my account? Oh, wow. $1,000. And so they are selling the accounts to each other huh. for those yeah. amounts of money. It's just that the company who actually can use the money to make the game better isn't capturing any mm. of that.
1: And this happens with even like paid games like World of Warcraft. Closed mm. beta access to, to their expansions, you could sell accounts for quite a lot.
2: Right. So when we, ta- when we priced our closed beta, it was $10 for the lowest pack because yep. at the time we thought that was a fair value proposition. Since then, we've raised the price of getting into betas to $30 later on because we understand it actually represents more value than what we were initially targeting it at.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: pricing is the hardest thing to do with running a business. Mm-hmm. Because, yep. Well, if you make it too expensive, you lose. If you make it too cheap, you lose. Have fun with that.
1: How did you work out your, how to price things for Path of Exile?
2: Guessing? It's just common sense and asking people stuff. Mm. And when, when things are too expensive, players will say so and you can make adjustments. When things are too cheap, you can see there's overwhelming amount of demand for them and you could have priced them differently. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, things costing money is not a bad thing for the players because we put the money towards improving the game. And, yes. and you guys can all attest to the fact we have like mm-hmm. 100 people in the office now working on making some pretty cool things.
1: Yeah. Um, so we're pretty much, we've run out of time for episode one, I believe.
3: Do we want to keep going or, or how, how are you feeling? I've got plenty of time. It's cool, cool.
1: cool. Let's we'll have the, a little break. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening to this, that's that's the end of episode one. Um, you can email us some questions at frontcquestionsgmail.com or tweet at us at Uh Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let's let let Chris know which balance changes you want. Don't do that. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Uh, we've got a Facebook uh, page, facebook.com slash FrontSeatCast. FrontSeatGamer.wordpress.com is our website where we read our comments sometimes. Uh, And we've got a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash FrontSeatCast. We'll be back uh, soon, next week. Yeah, yeah, next week. Next week with the part two of uh, our episode with Chris. See you then. Bye. Bye.
2: So I have some stories about the Transformers toys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had this thing where I was at university and this guy turns up and he's just come from a toy shop with boxes of Transformers toys and big bags and he puts them down on the table and he goes, I've been shopping. And so I say, "Oh, that's awesome. What did you get? And he shows us the toys and the current generation ones. And I go, okay, you're going to leave them sealed? And he goes, damn right I'm leaving them sealed. <laughs> Like, current generation yeah in boxes <laughs> and i go oh, i have all the 1980s original ones i mean not all but most i mean i got them as a kid and he goes holy crap do you know what that's worth And i'm like dude these are being chewed on i've put them i've put them in the toilet right you know i was like three or four and he goes well, why would you open them
1: <laughs> 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 like, i was like four years as old as a three-year-old you didn't have any sense that they might be worth something